Welcome to the Be With Podcast with me, your host, Barbara Roshina. Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome back to episode number three of our interview series on the trauma and solstice. So we are exploring uh, the winter solstice and trauma as parallel experiences. We're looking at them as this beautiful living, breathing metaphor to think about our trauma as a fertile soil as this deep mystery darkness from which our wholeness may emerge if we are willing to trust its beauty and its blackness and its cold, to know that our beauty is wrapped up in our shadow and our light and that somewhere in that sweet mix, there is a healing not only for us, but for the collective. Now, this is the third and final interview in this interview series. I recorded these interviews last year, right around this time. And the intro to these interviews, to give you kind of a sense of context, is three episodes back, which was episode number nine. So episode number nine was our intro to these interviews. Then episode number 10 was an interview with Amy Koretsky. Episode number 11 was an interview with Rachel Maddox. And now episode number 12 is our interview with Asha Frost. It is our final interview and I am just over the moon to be able to offer this as a final offering and kind of a deep, hmm, how do I say this? Call forward call to connection, call to reconciliation. As this work, you know, moves through your heart and through your spirit and allows you to think about not only your own trauma, but also the experiences of trauma that exist within the culture around you um, and how your trauma might connect to the trauma of others around you in the world. Even in the lives of those in whose oppression, you might be complicit. So today we have the absolute privilege to be together with Asha Frost, who is an indigenous healer and medicine woman, and is someone that I, you'll, you'll hear the backstory through the interview, but is someone who I discovered because I read a post from her that kind of was like an arrow straight to my heart of speaking to the experience of, of living with institutionalized and systemic and cultural experiences of harm and oppression, marginalization, and how those can really manifest in the body and in the nervous system. And how when we make space to be honest with ourselves about the harm and the violence that we've experienced, how that creates a way forward as we turn towards spirit. And how that creates a way for us to claim the fullness of our identity. And how as we own the fullness of our identity from a really authentic place, we are able to invite others into liberation. We're able to have difficult conversations. We're able to move forward in a way that heals us and heals all. And for me, this is, this is healing at its best. Healing at its best doesn't just end with us. You know, that's a, a piece that Rachel and I talked about in the last episode that like, we need to remember that there's a choice that gets to be made that, that when we heal, 
we get to choose to keep passing the healing on. We get to allow it to ripple forward from us and be an active agent and participant in that healing moving forward. So that so that our darkness can be transformed and from that fertile soil can come good fruit to feed many. So that's about all the introduction I'm going to give you because this interview really speaks for itself, full of wisdom. Um, Asha's got her membership site up and running, which is absolutely beautiful. It's called Sacred Membership. And it is a program that gives you the teachings, guidance, support, and mentorship to heal yourself and bring your gifts out into the world based on earth medicine ways. And she also works one-on-one and in group offerings with people. And she is just a true healer and teacher who offers a deep and embodied and I don't even know how to say this, but like elder medicine in terms of the fact that like she has lived it. She does live it. It is deeply grounded. It is rooted in a knowledge and in practice of the sacred and in relationship with the sacred. And that is such a unique gift and such a privilege to be able to receive. And so I highly recommend checking out her work and her website and connecting with her directly. Now, just before we begin the episode, one thing to note is that we did have some recording issues just in the first, I think, maybe 15 16 minutes so you will hear a little bit of static just in the beginning but we figure it out eventually and the recording becomes quite clear so just hang in there for the first few minutes with us because I promise it is a very worthwhile interview to listen to enjoy Asha thank you so much for being here thank you for having me I am I am just beaming with joy and gratitude that you are here and you are gathering. I feel like you are gathering us today just to say, you know, to, to sit at your feet and be able to welcome your wisdom and your guidance and your, um, your storytelling and your process of healing to the podcast feels like a really, really great deep honor. Um, the longer that this trauma series has been going and that I've been recording it, the more I just feel completely, just completely lucky to be surrounded by so many healers that are doing their work in the world. And I am so honored that you agreed to come on and chat with us today. Thank you. I'm honored you asked me. I love, um, I love talking about all of this and our transformation. Yeah. Um, would you, can you please tell the good people who you are and what you do in the world? Yes. So um, I, my name is Asha and I am a medicine woman. I am indigenous. My, both my parents are Ojibwe and we're from different First Nations across Ontario. And I've been in private practice for 15 years as a spiritual mentor and a healer and a homeopath. Mm-hmm. And now I'm transitioning my work into more of an online um, format with mm-hmm. teachings and ceremony and circles in that way. So yeah, it's, it's been a journey and a process to get mm-hmm. here, but I, yeah, I just believe that we all have these medicines to share with the world and I help women to facilitate that within themselves and, and bring that forward. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's amazing. Um, 
the way, I don't know actually if you know this, but the way I first heard about your work is that my part, my spouse's um, in-law, I guess, like a, an in-law of my spouse's. So I guess in some way my removed in-law or my, <laughs> I don't even know what the term for it is, but she attended one of your circles. Oh, okay. And so she told me all about you a number of years ago, maybe two or three years ago. Um, but I just wasn't available for the work or the healing at the time. You know, I was doing yeah. other types of healing. Um, but for some reason, her telling me about you resonated to the point where I came home and I joined your Facebook group three years ago, but oh. I didn't do anything about it. And I didn't even go in all that often, you know, like I would just see you once in a while come up on my feed and then I'd be like, oh, interesting. You know, this woman is doing these circles. That's, you know, very lovely, but also I don't know much about her and it's not in my city. So, you know, like I, I kind of just like, it was in the background. And then sometime this summer in early August, a, a, and I don't know why, but for some reason, one of your posts came up onto my feed and I read it and I was just completely blown away. Like I was absolutely floored by that offering of your story. And I, I don't think I'd been receiving updates from you regularly. So I don't know what happened in the Facebook algorithm. Like it was just spirit <laughs> that was like, Barbara, you need to see this. Um, but it was this beautiful post that you'd written that started with the word oppression and then like a fire flame emoji at the end of it mm. um, that you'd written about your experience of doing this diversity training this summer and your healing work. Um, and I felt so shy, but I, I couldn't help myself. I immediately wrote you on Facebook. I was like, hi, we've never met. I'm starting a podcast. You talked about oppression and your body and healing these parts of yourself. And I feel like I've done, I've had to do so much of that work for myself as a queer woman who was mm -hmm. exiled from the church, who experienced all sorts of things, um, you know, in my religious setting, but also from my parents, you know, having, having lost a community, having lost access to my family, like, you know, and I, and I would really love to have a conversation with you about this. Um, and it didn't, it wasn't able to happen for a few months. And now as I'm recording this trauma series, of course, like the moon and the stars and everything <laughs> lined up and here you are. And I'm so grateful for that divine timing. Me too. Yeah. And just for that, you know, for that process of being able to have you here. So I was wondering if you wouldn't mind telling my audience and myself actually a little bit about your story of coming into a recognition of oppression and how that relates to healing and, and healing trauma specifically in our bodies and in our nervous systems. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a huge journey and one that I think I was taking really um, carefully and maybe lightly before, because it was probably too painful to really bear witness to it in my own body and in yeah. my, in my life. Um, because, you know, there's been different experiences I've had that have been, um, very racist um, things said to me, ways people have treated me. And I think I've just tried to brush it off because it's too painful to really take it into our being sometimes. So I think I was probably in denial a little bit about, about how much racism touches um, my people and myself. Mm -hmm. So, um, but I, but my body, so I was diagnosed with lupus when I was 17 mm -hmm. and um, have been through a lot of struggles with that in my physical body. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until early this year that I realized that a lot of the physical symptoms I was happening were related to oppression. Mm -hmm. And when I took this diversity training, these beautiful black women are the teachers and they were saying that, um, 
we're carrying this oppression in ourselves. And in order to heal this from our bodies, in order to heal our bodies and our illness, we need to start speaking about it and we need to start mm. moving through it and feeling it. And it just, it sounds so simple kind of, because I'm like, well, of course, I've been doing healing work since I was 17. Like, yeah. why did I think of this? But it was because of that denial I was in, because it was yeah. just, you know, too painful. And I'm able to, to address painful things, but for some reason, I think because it's so systemic and because I'm carrying a lot of generational trauma in my body mm-hmm. too, it seemed like a big task and maybe one I wasn't ready for. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when the summer came and I really, I started, I, I, I shared this in the post, I think that I shook the whole summer. My body would not stop shaking my legs and my feet. And I just was like, what is going on? I couldn't get grounded yeah. or rooted. And it was just a trauma. It was like as though somebody took a rattle to my soul and started shaking me up so that everything could rise to the surface. And then I started speaking, which of course isn't always met with, um, with your reaction, which is so beautiful. You know, people get angry and triggered and they like to project their stuff back Mm -hmm. to you. So that shaking up, no wonder I, I waited so long to, to do the work because, um, it's painful to, to feel it, it's painful to admit it, and then it's painful to actually process through it when, when a lot of people don't really want to hear it. Mm-hmm. So it's been a process, but in sharing it and in recognizing it, a lot of my physical symptoms have lifted fully mm-hmm. and completely. And oh. to me, there's just there's no going back. I can't. Yeah. I mean, my body is my temple. It's my it's everything. It keeps me houses my spirit. So mm-hmm. this work has has been. It's, it's broken something open in me and I, I can't go back to being in denial anymore about feeling through it and speaking about it. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful. So that oppression, I had this oppression weight in my lungs for four years, that lifted completely. Um, some other symptoms lifted and I just thought, wow, like this is the root of my healing yeah. work that I have to do now to heal my body so that I can live like a healthy life. Ah. Oh. I, I mean, that is such, it's such a deep honor to hear you speak on this and also to hear you honor the fact that maybe you didn't do it before because it was too painful. Yeah. Cause I think we try, I think we try sometimes to rush ourselves into healing that we're not ready for, or yeah. we try to rush through our healing or we try and sugarcoat things. You know, at one point you said, I think in the past that I have bypassed mm-hmm the healing. And I think that's like one of the things that I'm really working with a lot right now in terms of supporting my clients. And I I always have, but in terms of supporting my clients and supporting especially other healers in their healing practices. And I think that the work that you're leading people into now is clearly such a direct manifestation of the fact that you have turn towards the oppression and turn towards this discrimination and turn towards the shadow and really our collective shadow and being willing to face it you know and I think there's there's this very difficult thing about being a trauma survivor of any sort which is that it's not our fault that we have the trauma I'm not someone who believes that we like we choose our suffering. Like, I just, I don't believe that's a loving view of God. So I'm not into it. I'm like, nope, I believe God is a loving God. I believe spirit is a loving spirit. I don't think it's just energy attracting energy, you know? Right. So for me, I'm like, we didn't choose the suffering, but we 
after that have a choice about whether that becomes an opportunity for growth. Yes. And we have an opportunity to learn that the divine and spirit was always there in the suffering with us. Yes. Even if we thought we were alone. Yes. You know, and so to hear you speak about this work for me, I feel like what you're talking to is this powerful thing where you say, I didn't choose this trauma. I didn't choose this suffering. This isn't my fault. And yet by choosing my own healing and my own growth, I'm going to do healing, not just for myself, not just for my ancestors and my descendants, but I'm going to do healing for the collective because I'm calling the collective to a higher accountability mm-hmm. and recognition of the sacred. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's so, I love how you put it. That is actually really brilliant. And um, it's big work. Like it, 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 you know, when I really think about it, I can't stop now, but it's, it's opened up in me and now I have to keep going mm-hmm. and revealing. And it always comes back to my own journey and what has been revealed to me mm-hmm. and how through, through mentorship with other people and teachings and learning, right. And then sharing that with, with others, mm-hmm. which I'm starting to see. I was so afraid to share for so long. I, I was so afraid to, to share the truth of some of this because it's not always been a safe thing to share. And it has, and it's not. When and it's still it, not. Yeah, you know, it's still not. So it's, um, you know, it's, that's the big work. It's the big work of like having the shaking up, like that rattle coming up and feeling like I need to do this because, you know, I, I need to share this and then having getting the backlash, which is painful, mm-hmm. but I can't stop. So I'll mm-hmm. take a day or two to, cry and to release and to mm-hmm. feel into it and to be in my darkness. And then, and then, you know, I ride through it and it just builds resilience every single time. Yeah. And it's uh, such a gift that you give yourself those days because it means then at other times you're available. And, you know, the, the longer I'm involved in the work of collective healing, and, and, you know, there's this term called healing justice that comes out of the social justice movement, mm-hmm. which is the idea that in creating social justice and movements for social change, we also need to be doing healing work. And so healing justice is this word that's come up in somatics. You might be familiar with it. Um, and so at the more I kind of engage in ways of doing work in the world that are focused on healing justice and collective, collective healing, the more I recognize what a big gift it is for me to hear someone else's experience who I might have harmed intentionally or unintentionally. And that if I'm able to drop my ego in the moment and connect to the unity that is in both of us and to know that I have done harm to another and that me having done harm to another is a mirror of me having done harm to all of us, Mm -hmm. then I begin to recognize I mean, this has really become part of my practice. I've come to recognize that when someone else offers me feedback about the way that I've been implicit in their harm or complicit or in, in, or just straight up have harmed them, you know, like when I, you know, I, this year I um, taught a workshop at um, the Sick Theories Conference, which is a conference put on by disabled folk for disabled folk about sexuality and disability. And I got called in a couple of times cause I mm-hmm. welcomed call in. So a couple of people said to me like, Hey Barbara, don't use that word. Hey Barbara, don't mm-hmm. talk this way about this thing. And when I got called in my, you know, 
of course I had feelings of discomfort, but my overall feeling was like such deep gratitude that others trusted me enough to be able to name their experience with me. And I feel like the more we share about our experiences of oppression and the more we speak forward, which is what you've been doing, the more we open up an opportunity for people to make themselves available to receive that gift and to be able to hear, oh shit, this is the culture that I am part of. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's a huge piece, I think, because for some reason people think they, what I've noticed is they immediately go to shame or that they're being Mm -hmm. blamed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I try in my teachings to say, what if we just leaned back a little bit and just, and just was aware in those moments of those moments of discomfort that you talked about, like, you know, just what's coming up and rising up because we've we've all made a mistake. We've all made mistakes. Mm -hmm. I've made many mistakes. What if Mm -hmm. we sit with the discomfort, process it throughout, you know, in our own being and not kind of like project Mm -hmm. it again on that person and then sit with it, do our healing work, find your therapist and your, you know, your mentor to process through and then come back with, if you have harmed somebody, that, that real true apology, which to me that the truest apologies have just simply been, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Yeah. No explanation. No, like, you know, you don't have to tell me about your, all your stuff. It's just, I'm sorry that I hurt you. And yeah. that's powerful. And then things can just heal. And it, it's so brilliant. Yeah. Um, but it is, it's, I think navigating that right now is what I'm finding the most challenging because people will, the defensiveness comes up really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and mostly when I talk about appropriation, because it's mm-hmm. a hot topic and mm-hmm. So that is a really a big thing in our spiritual white mm-hmm. women community um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. a lot of our practices are appropriated and taken yeah. and people don't really want to hear that they're not supposed to be doing that. So, yeah. 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 So, and I really teach with compassion because I just say, when you know better, you do better. And like, I just, I have that space of like, if you lean back, I'll be here to meet you if you have questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, take responsibility for your part too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that piece around defensiveness is really important. And I think that the reason we jump into defensiveness is because we are afraid and we are hurt of our pain Mm. and we don't want to name the places where harm is happening. And I'm actually going to say with harm is happening either against us or through us. Mm. You know, I think there's such a, tendency to want to escape the reality of our world and Mm -hmm. escape the injustices of our world. And to me, the most heartbreaking thing about that is that what you just said around the fact that like the greatest apology is just saying, I'm sorry, I I hurt you. And then you said healing happens. And like, just for the audience, Asha made this like beautiful movement with her hands where her hands just came together and like interlaced. And to me, that is the nature of spirit. Spirit wants to heal. Yeah. Spirit wants to always heal and to bring back, bring back into unity and bring back into healing. Like, yes, greater expansion and diversity, but always for the purpose of healing yes. and bringing together. Yes. And to me, the more we hide from the truth of our reality that we are living in systems that harm us and where we harm others, the more we get in the way of spirit doing that healing work, because we're basically saying, spirit, we don't need your healing work here. Everything's fine. Everything's okay. You know, 
and to me, that's such a heartbreaking part of our current world. Yes. Where yeah, we, it's, yeah. Go ahead. It's all about, well, I just feel like it's about connection. Like, I think when we get defensive, then we disconnect from ourselves and maybe what's rising up. Yeah. So it's just, and then we're just, just connecting to that from that person. So I think spirit just always brings connection. And if we can think of it from that perspective, that we're trying to re reestablish, reestablish connection here, mm-hmm. uh, open our hearts to that, to ourselves first and foremost, mm-hmm. and then, and then it'll just flow to other people. And I think that is, that is the first kind of step I think in having these conversations is can we remain connected to ourselves and Mm -hmm. what, and what's coming up for us right now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean that so much of that work is self-regulation and kind of even that, you know, that nervous system response that you had of you feeling, Mm -hmm. feeling like you were being shaken and really literally rattled, you know, even if I may share today, I went um, out for lunch with my spouse. I took them to like, a burger place for lunch because we were celebrating the end of their contract. And I was there to celebrate something for them. And yet right before arriving, I had this like wave of sadness run through me because I'm doing really intense, I guess you could say trauma, like nervous system regulation work in my own care right now. And so as we were like leaving the office, we walked through this alley and I just had to say, I'm so sorry. You're just going to need to give me a second because something's flowing through my body. And I let it come up and I let myself cry. And then I like, and literally I maybe cried for 30 seconds. Like it really wasn't long and it moved through me and we were able to go to lunch and have lunch. And we were speaking about kind of our career paths and how they wrapped up this contract and how I'm going through this big launch when this is being recorded. I'm in the process of launching the initiation. And Tanya said, Barbara, I know you feel like you're a hot mess right now, but actually you're a hot mess at all the right times. And I said, what does that mean? And they said, well, you're, you're not taking it out on me. And that's the right time. The right time to be a mess is when you're able to let it be your own process and to call me into it rather than using it as a moment to disconnect from me. Right. You know, and what you just said, like, I think speaks to that, the power of being able to stay in our own discomfort Yes. Rather than using someone else, whether because they have triggered us or because they're just the person closest to us, you know, as a punching bag bag or something to project onto when something really difficult is rolling through us. Yeah. Yeah. That's powerful work. I mean, that consciousness and awareness too, that it's just yeah, having those moments and you're right, self-regulating that and mm-hmm. making sure you have your space holders if you need to go and take it somewhere too. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise you can do more damage. And that's some of the experiences I've had since all of this has come up and I started speaking about it is mm-hmm. um, more damage has been done by some people who where it does get triggered and then they end up practicing things like gaslighting or, mm-hmm. you know, just processing their stuff on me when I feel like I'm processing enough or, you know, even like a lot of, and, you know, I'll speak to this because it's like people want to help. They want to do the biggest work and help that you can do is to do your work around this, to do your Mm -hmm. research, Mm -hmm. just go within. um, And people have that savior complex sometimes, Mm -hmm. right? Like, how can I save you and your people? How can I do the work? How? And so all of those DMS that I get to my inbox are exhausting. 
And it's like, it is that emotional labor where it's like, I just gave you something to think about. So then just think about it, <laughs> deepen into it, process through it, you know, and, and do that work. Um, so I think it's really important to, to take those responsibility moments and, and just feel like, okay. And, and I just always think your space holders are so important for that. I've got tons of space holders and I, I need them. So I think like, so that I don't end up hurting somebody even more. Mm-hmm. How in this process of doing this work for yourself, but also now, you know, and there's like a whole other thing I feel like I go into in the way that you said, like, I feel like now there's no stopping, there's no turning mm-hmm. back because I feel that way about my work too. And I think mm-hmm. there's something really important too. We can come back to it in a minute, but how, as you've been doing this healing work for yourself, but also then doing it in your business, how's that shaping your process now? in a way that's different than what it used to look like. Yeah, I think it's huge. I, I really struggle for the longest time because my community is mostly non-Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. It's mostly white women, mm-hmm. um, privileged white women. And mm-hmm. I struggled for a long time with that, wondering why I didn't seem to fit in anywhere. I didn't fit in with the Indigenous community. I didn't seem to fit in with the white community. I didn't seem to fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And um, in doing all of this work, I'm realizing now what my purpose is. Like my true purpose is to be this bridge between um, the Indigenous people and the non-Indigenous people and to bring forward this work in a way, because it's my audience. I have this platform that I've built trust and relationships with and community with that I adore. Like, you know, when I say the majority of the people I mentor, they have that ability to do their work, to keep these teachings as sacred, mm-hmm. truly. Like, They've, they've risen up and they, they meet me and that's so brilliant. But as I'm expanding it in, in a bigger way, I'm seeing that, that I am that bridge. So it's been a deepening into what my purpose is mm-hmm. and also a self-acceptance that I was trying for so long to go to Indigenous communities and do my work there and it wasn't well received. Mm-hmm. So then I would feel like a failure in that way. And then I was mm-hmm. trying to fit into this like white privilege circle energy and I didn't fit in there. So I think it's been like a really big awakening to who I am, why Mm. I'm here and the messages that I'm speaking and the platform that I have, how it's going to create change. I really feel like it's awakening minds and hearts in a really powerful way. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's taken me a while to get here. I'll be honest. Like I think for many years I've, I've struggled with how my voice is meant to be shared. Mm -hmm. I love that you touched on something that's extremely powerful, like you just said, Um, and that I wasn't even expecting you to say, but I'm not surprised that you did, which is that you have reclaimed more of who you truly are uniquely as you, you know, as this bridge builder, you have actually come to a greater ownership of the truth of who you are mm-hmm. and an acceptance and a validation of who you are knowing that you get to create your own space in the world. And I think that's such a, that, I think that's such an important part of healing the places within us that have been wounded of becoming the wounded healer. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's such power. I think that's one of the greatest benefits and like positive consequences of doing our own healing work and doing our own trauma work and owning the places where we have experienced rejection or oppression is that 
at the end of that, not at the end of it, but kind of on the, once we start moving through it and we're no longer just in the first stages of like feeling like our world is being turned upside down. Once we start regaining the earth under our feet and remembering that it's there Mm -hmm. and finding sure footedness and walking our path. I think we start recognizing like, actually my experience is completely valid and my voice has a purpose. Mm -hmm. And because we're not afraid of our shadow, we're not afraid of other people's shadow because we're seeing it clearly. We become much more fearless. And I think this is where like that, that piece you mentioned about like, there is no going back. Yeah. Where that comes up. Yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. It's a huge shift. I think that moment of, I mean, I still experience fear. Don't get me wrong. It's not always easy to like take these leaps, but uh, there's that resilience that's built through every situation that comes my way. And through realizing that it was actually to be quite honest, a real strong rooting and firming up that happened about three weeks ago, um, Mm -hmm. through an experience with a family member. And when that happened, I cried harder than I've cried in a long time mm-hmm. and I cleared away. Um, it was just, it was just, they presented how they've been judging me and how my whole family has been judging me, like the indigenous family mm-hmm. and what I'm doing and how I'm showing up in the world and how I'm teaching, mm-hmm. uh, which is really painful. But then, and I cried and I felt so sad, but then I felt so rooted in who I am. Yeah. So sometimes it has to happen like that, right? We have to yeah. fall apart and be like, these people have been judging me and I have to come to the truth of that, but yeah. that's okay because I love myself anyways. And I'm going to yeah. show up and, and this is, and it just sort of like showed me like, this has been your path. And the reason they've been judging you is because you've been judging yourself and not really seeing that this is enough. You are enough on this path yeah. as you are. And it's time for you to, to be it all, like just to, to really stand strong in it. Yeah. So it's, it was a beautiful experience, even though it was really painful at the time. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating that as we get deeper and more holistic in the work, the painful experiences don't go away. It's just our experience of them changes. Yes. We become like, oh man, I had this breakdown or breakthrough last week. You should have seen me. It was such a gift. (laughs) I know. Like what? You know, but really we like, we suddenly see, our own capacity within it is what I'm hearing you say. It's like you see your own capacity to stand strong in it and to know that this is only more opportunity for you to be grounded in the truth of who you are. Yeah. And that's what, and that's what often challenges us when other people are, are, you know, expressing their stuff to Mm -hmm. us is that it just gives us an opportunity to say, is this my truth? Mm -hmm. Is this my Mm -hmm. truth? What is my truth? And reflecting Mm -hmm. on that, um, and coming back to that, because I think that is our journey. It's always mm-hmm. coming back to ourselves, no matter what everybody else thinks mm-hmm. or says about mm-hmm. us or all of that, which is huge in this online community, right? Because it's mm-hmm. just, in speaking up, it's, it's a big, it's a big journey towards that. I'm not quite there yet, but yeah. I'll get there. Would you mind sharing? And I know this, I'm asking, I am asking for a gift really, really consciously, you know, would you mind sharing with us what kind of how, what the line is between owning our truth, but also recognizing that owning our, like we're owning our truth veers on the edge of defensiveness or stealing from another or claiming something that actually isn't your own to claim. 
Um, you know, and I'm just finding words around this now, and it's taken me a really long time because, because I've had a practice for 15 years and doing these teachings for a long time mm -hmm. now, I have witnessed different things over the years that have triggered me. And I, I sat with it because primarily all of my um, students have been white women, mm -hmm. and they've been asking me to teach these things. And so I knew it was part of my path, but I did not know how to show up because I knew of that it wasn't okay for them to take. So mm -hmm. I've been just trying to like really figure out what is the appropriate way for me to actually teach my teachings without actually appropriating my own teachings, right? Like that's mm -hmm. sort of what I felt like, because people have called me an appropriator um, on social media because of the work that I do. And I know a lot of the traditional old school people do not agree with how I'm showing up and sharing. So mm -hmm. I've had to find my, my truth in that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, so now it's clear. Now it's clear. It's, you know, people, I don't actually think it's okay for a white woman to be teachings, teaching Ojibwe teachings. I don't mm -hmm. think that's, or a white man. I don't really think that's um, appropriate. Yeah. Um, and that, because I've experienced that, and that caused me a lot of harm. Yeah. Um, because at that moment, in those times that I, I witnessed this, I didn't even feel good enough or centered enough that or allowed to even teach my own teaching so why was a white person teaching this when I felt like I was so disconnected from my own teachings because of all of the trauma that's happened to my ancestors my grandparents the residential schools they don't carry that so of course they can go and be like I'll take this there's no trauma there for me taking this whereas for me there's lifetimes and lifetimes of trauma that I had to work through to come to the point where I feel worthy enough mm -hmm. to share this and to stand mm -hmm. in my medicine woman self. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And the other part is I love teaching my teachings to people. I love offering them as a gateway or a bridge for them to awaken their own medicines. Mm. So I've always been firm that I'm not creating many, many medicine women. I, like I'm not creating many Asha Frosts because mm. that's not my way of teaching. It's mm -hmm. how can my teachings that are from the earth that are beautiful awaken what you know within you, your ancestry, your bloodline. Mm. Um, and if you're going to take my teaching, because I mentor people and I offer my teachings, can you hold space for the fact that there are missing and murdered Indigenous women across our country? Can you hold space for the fact that many Indigenous people do not have clean water to drink? Mm -hmm. Can you see the oppression and racism that goes on every single day for an Indigenous person? Mm -hmm. And can you do that research and work too? Yep. So holding the beautiful things, holding the awful things, mm -hmm. and holding it all. So if you're going to take those teachings and you're going to use them, I want you also be, to be doing some education work and to be actually sharing this stuff with people. And so many of my mentorship students have stepped up in that way. They've written petitions. They've done, you know, they've done fundraisers to help me. They've just, they really do that work. So mm -hmm. I've just come into really deep clarity about that. If you're going to use these teachings, are you holding the whole picture? Mm -hmm. And, and are you just, or do you just want to take the pretty things or just see the person as like a Pocahontas or wear the headdress or all of the things that are just not appropriate mm -hmm. um, because you're not seeing the person as a person and you're not seeing the struggles they have to go through every single day. Mm -hmm. You're just taking what you want to see mm -hmm. or what you want to get and using it for your own. Yeah. Your own, whatever that is, mm -hmm. a spiritual advancement or purposes or mm -hmm. to make money. Yeah.
Um, so for me, that's the distinction. And I've just been clear about that at the beginning of this year. And I got really clear, like, because all of my students are non-Indigenous. So I had to really wonder why that was. Why am I gathering these people? They're, they're craving this knowing within themselves. Mm -hmm. they, they're, so I wanted to offer it to them. But then how do I do that in a respectful way to my own trauma mm -hmm. and to my own people? Thank you so much for that gift. It's e extremely potent education and very, very important for us to recognize. And I think, you know, something that I've been receiving education about lately from the healing justice movement is mm -hmm. also recognizing in the same way that misogyny does harm against men, white supremacy does the like primary harm to folks of color, but white supremacy is also bad for me in the same way that misogyny is bad for men yeah. in the same way that um homophobia is really bad for the spiritual practitioners that i worked for and and was mentored by you know like mm -hmm. any sort of division or oppression is terribly bad for us yeah. because it makes us lose sense of our connectedness and so i think that there's something so intensely powerful and heartbreaking and important and healing all at the same time to be said for all these, for all the women that are drawn to you, all of the white women that are drawn to you, that recognize that there is something terribly wrong and deeply not okay with our world, considering the intense racism, institutional, personal, systemic, BIPOC folks are facing, you know, and that the original keepers of this land are facing, um, you know, and, and I just appreciate you sharing this because I, because I think I, when I do land acknowledgements at the beginning of events, um, and when I did the land acknowledgement on the very first episode of this podcast, I, one thing that I got introduced to last year, you know, I've had a few different experiences of being trained how to do land acknowledgements and is this idea that when we do a land acknowledgement, not only now do I like name the keepers of this land, you know, I, but also, and like, which at this point I'm like, let's make sure I can name them right now. Like the Haudenosaunee, the Anishinaabe, uh, the Mississaugas of the New Credit, um, and I'm missing the Heron Wendat, mm. you know? Like, so not only naming the keepers of this land, not only naming that, you know, I live in, in the territory of the Dish with One Spoon Treaty, like not only naming all of that very, very, very rich history, but then also naming my positionality, my Barbara Roshana immigrant, mm -hmm. white woman positionality in relationship to all that rich history and to the current bloody history and the current restrictions and the current experiences of indigenous folks and and i think what you just spoke to and i realize i'm taking up a lot of time but if i can offer this to my audience is that recognizing that our story has a role to play and recognizing that like there's a, there's a beautiful quote that i learned from um andrea and i forget her last name right now but she teaches coaching as activism um and it's a quote from indigenous group in the 1970s and I'm going to butcher it, but it says something like, if you've come here to rescue me, leave. If you come here to rescue us, leave. 
But if you've come here because your freedom is bound up with ours, then let us work together. Mm. You know? That's so beautiful. And I feel like what you're naming is this recognition that our freedom is bound up together. And that it is our responsibility to bring this healing work into the world. And in the complexity of all that, how you as a healer, as a leader, but also as a person and a body under oppression need to prioritize your care Mm -hmm. so that you can do this sustainably first for you, your ancestors, your descendants, and then in service to anyone else. Mm -hmm. If and when spirit calls you to. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So much. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to looking at our trauma, especially systemic trauma or trauma that we have from oppression, what do you think is the thing that gets in the way of people doing that work? And from your recent experience, what do you believe is the bridge for people to be able to begin to do that difficult work of facing? I think it's probably fear. Mm-hmm. I would think it's probably fear. I think, huh, like if I think of myself and why I sort of dismissed it or avoided it, it felt like a huge mountain to to come across or to to hurdle, I guess. So I think it's just fear in feeling how, yeah, maybe just feeling how darn painful that is. Um, and I think there's even fear of just this whole white supremacist culture. Like mm-hmm. I think people get really triggered by that word and not realizing that we're born into this culture. Mm-hmm. Like it's nobody's fault. You know, people just take that sort of blame, but it's like, we're born into this and this is what we're steeping in. So mm-hmm. it's almost like, I feel like a resistance to really acknowledging that that is how our world is running. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in our, specifically in our spiritual communities, I think there's a lot of bypassing and I'm guilty yeah. of that too. Like, I know that for so long, I didn't want to go here. So I bypassed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this whole of light and love and manifest is just, you know, you see it everywhere and it's where people want to stay because it's easy, breezy. Mm-hmm. You don't have to do the other stuff. Right. And, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's shifting. Like, I do think that there are more people waking up to that that's not really actually how we're going to live in our physical human form. Yeah. Um, Because there's crap that happens every single day. Yeah. So, um, again, I think it just comes back to, you know, I met a therapist last year and he's been an incredible space holder for me. Mm -hmm. So I think that working with him, it was finding him that allowed me to deepen and to stop the bypassing. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think it's, it comes back to the space holding, mm-hmm. finding your person who's going to push you mm-hmm. into this trauma work, like into doing it and knowing that you have that place to go, that safe space to be held mm-hmm. and seen. Um, and, you know, I will share this because he said to me one day, I had all this experience. People were calling me appropriator. They were saying all this mean stuff on social media. Um, it was indigenous people. I didn't know them. But mm-hmm. I put out an offering and I was really hurt. Mm-hmm. And he stopped and he said, if that ever happened to me, I'd be very, I would be, it would just destroy me. And he says, so he says, so just listen. He's like, in your womb, there are the missing and murdered indigenous women and they're screaming. Mm-hmm. They're in your blood. They're in your womb. And like something about him saying that shifted me. 
And I was like, that is what I've been avoiding. And it wasn't until I did that work and I realized, and that is why those people were saying these things, because it was like, you're not feeling into our pain. You've been bypassing it. So yeah, when you ask like, what is the, you know, what is that key piece? I think it's having a space holder who can push you enough for you to see what you've been bypassing. Yeah. And it's such like, it's such tremendously difficult work. You know, it's such, such tremendously difficult work. And I, I've had, you know, space holders who've been able to, to do that for me by saying things like when I've been like, Oh God, it's awful right now. I want to say, I hate my parents. Like who does that? And like have a space holder. That's like, actually I have many clients for whom it is extremely healthy and a part of the healing process to admit that they hate their abusive parents. You know, like me being like, Ooh, recoil at it, but being like, Oh, that is the medicine I needed. Right. right. That is absolutely the medicine I needed. Um, but then if I can add to that and just say that, I think that there's, I feel like in the pushing towards the fire and the pain, mm -hmm. there's also this deep, 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 deep need that we need to be reminded of divine, unconditional love. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. Always, always. I mean, for me, for me, that's been my whole journey, I think, in healing my body is it always comes back to divine unconditional love. And I think that's the medicine that I've held for many people um, is when they, if they, they've sat in front of me or been on my healing table, I've seen their divine part. I never really see their, I mean, I, I hear their wounds. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I feel into them, but that unconditional love place, which I would call dear medicine, mm. is the place that I've sat in for many people because I've had to sit in it for myself so many times. Um, and I do think that's, that's the healer of all things. Um, and yeah, in the fire, I mean, you can hold divine compassion and that unconditional love for somebody in such a beautiful way as they walk through that fire, as they go to the fire. I think that's a great gift of the healer mm -hmm. that they can actually push that person there and then hold them mm -hmm. while they're there, you know, and I, and it's also, it can be challenging as a healer to do that. And I've seen that, right? Because a person comes, you do that. And then they never want to come back <laughs> because it's like, or then you hear 10 years later, that one session I had with you was so life-changing. Yeah. You basically wondered about them for 10 years thinking, oh gosh, were they okay? You know, yeah. it's just, it's interesting. So it's like a, it's a deep place to go and it's so profound and transformative, but um, yeah, it, sometimes it can be scary for people and yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a <laughs> interesting dynamic. Thing to yeah. I think that's why, and, I, and you know, and I love that what you said is a, like, reminding like not only do you see the divine in love in them but then you as a healer hold it for them yeah because i think that's the that's the only thing that i believe makes the walking into the fire possible yes is that like that you know your therapist was able to articulate that all those murdered indigenous women are in your blood cells screaming like that is both terror but also i cannot imagine like, I know the love I have for queer people who've gone through. Right now, I'm like even having trouble words remembering, which is like, that's a trauma symptom when you don't like, but like, I'm thinking, I, I keep wanting to call them support groups because that's how we're introduced to them is like when queer people are um, taken to programs where the goal is rehabilitation, like the goal is to change your orientation or whatever, fucked up thing that happens. <laughs> like, like that I have such love for every queer and trans person that has lost their life or lost their family or lost their faith. Mm 
to the hate of us. So I can't imagine the power of love that your body and your womb is then also full of Mm -hmm. for all the women that are lost and have been murdered and continue to go missing because of the systemic hatred Mm -hmm. we live in. Mm -hmm. And you live in. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful for this sacred space that you held for me to share Mm. these deep moments. Mm. I'm so grateful for your wisdom and your generosity and most of all for your willingness to reclaim your own place. (laughs) Yes. You know, like to own that because you're offering healing to so many, but most importantly, you're offering healing to yourself. And I know that is the fountain of everything good in this world is when, especially those of us who've been stripped of our power, take it, like take our power back and heal. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, can you share with the folks listening a little bit about what you're creating in the world right now um, in terms of your online offerings you said that's something you're transitioning to yes yes i feel like it's been like i feel like it's been a vision that i've been dreaming into being for so long now Mm -hmm. and it is um, an online membership called sacred and somebody asked me yesterday what does sacred mean to you and i feel like again i drop into the lower half of my body and that womb space and lower and it's just like that rooted grounded connection to all things and all beings Um, And bringing it back to that space of how do we learn and how do we take these teachings and how do we keep them, hold them in reverence? Mm -hmm. How do we hold ourselves in reverence? So it's a community and a medicine circle that has like indigenous and earth-based medicine teachings and healing circles and spiritual support for your evolution because it's not always easy. And and also inspiration, lots of inspiration of people who are spreading their wings and a space for you to soar and shine. So it's, uh, yeah, it's something that I've been dreaming about and I love holding space in circle and this is just an extension of that. Yeah, wonderful. And how, when's the next time that the doors on that are kind of going to be open? For so it'll moment? open every, um, every season. So the next door opening will be the spring equinox. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And how, how can people find you, find out about your work? I mean, obviously we'll have everything in the show notes, but for anyone that's like driving while listening. <laughs> yes, everything's under my name. You know, my Instagram is asha.frost. And then my Facebook is Asha Frost Healing Rainbow Medicine Woman. Um, so those are the two ways you can connect to me. And I always love to, you know, to connect with you in that way and see what you're up to too. Wonderful. Well, Asha, thank you so much for being here. It has been um, an absolute pleasure to be able to ask you some questions, to be able to sit at your feet and listen and receive of your wisdom and of your healing. I feel grounded and privileged Hmm. to be able to have this conversation with you. Thanks again. Thank you. So there we go, friends. That is the incomparable Asha Frost. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming along on this journey with me and for receiving this winter solstice gift. 
I know that you have held space for a lot over the last few hours as we have journeyed together. I wonder all the places that you listen to this podcast while you wash dishes or drove your car or went for a walk or lay on your floor. I wonder what are the places that held you while you thought about the way that trauma gets trapped in the body. The way that when we drop into our pain, we discover our healing and our wholeness. I wonder if you cried or laughed or got angry. I wonder how this was for you. And you know what? I'm actually gonna make that a real question. Will you shoot me a line? If you listened all the way through to the end of these episodes and and you feel like you have something to share with me, whether it's just a few words or a question or a thought or a request for further exploration of related topics you want me to look at on the podcast, I'd love to hear what was your experience of these three episodes. And of course, as always, it would be my deep, deep, privilege and honor to be able to support you whether in one of my coaching groups which will be restarting again in the winter time one-on-one through some mentorship or coaching or through ritual such as the embodying our light and darkness ritual guide it would be my privilege to be part of your journey so feel free to reach out to connect to look at any of my offerings And please do share this episode with others if you think that this is one that will resonate with someone you know or love or with your audience. I am currently listening for whether the podcast is something that's going to continue or not, or whether I will just release little series like these when I have energy and feel called to. But in the meantime, it has been such a pleasure to be able to revisit these important conversations and I feel very curious and excited and attentive and available for however spirit wants to move in my heart and through me, um, which includes my own desires. And as actually, I would even say, my own desires are central to that. And so I am excited to spend more time with you in person. I am excited to spend more time in community and in groups. And I am looking forward to continuing this journey as I allow more of my wholeness to lead the way and guide my path forward. Thank you for listening. I adore you. I love you. May you have a blessed closeout to 2019 and May 2020. May it offer the healing that we've been looking for and may call us to show up as the emperors that we are to just give a little shout out to the guard of the air. I'll see you soon, friends. Bye.